0: And welcome to Cinema Spectator a Show, where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is The Deer Hunter, directed by Michael Cimino, starring Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing?
1: Good. You know, I've I've really just been thinking about like what sound does a deer make? You know? Can you like I- imitate the sound of a deer, Cameron? Imitate? No, I don't think so. Like but... I I'm I'm I can't like actually I'm at a moment where I'm like, I cannot reproduce the sound that a deer would make in my head right now i know i've i know I th- they make sound but
0: i think it's like um like uh i i don't know it's like it's not like a bark but it's more like a grunt you know
1: yeah it's almost like a honk but not quite a uh, neigh. not a honk not you know? a honk but it's like it's like <laughs> it's like, <laughs> i would say in between a, a bark and a honk well, I guess I'm just lost in my brain, Cameron. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Um, you know, it's been it's been
0: pretty busy for me, but all in all, pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. It has been busy. I haven't had a ton of time to watch things, and yet I still feel like I have watched a decent amount of stuff, um, particularly TV. Um, but I want to ask you, what have you been watching first, Cameron?
0: Yeah, um, I've watched. Actually, a couple things. So weirdly, okay, I'm going to admit this to you, um, Isaac, and to the the whole internet. Um, so I have not been following any of the Star Wars things. I have not been uh, engaged in that at all. So no Mandalorian, no Book of Boba Fett. But I did watch the season finale or the fun finale, whatever it is, of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And I didn't watch anything up to that. Um, but I did watch the finale. Um, and you know, I was not that impressed, so I'm not sure if I'm going to go back and watch, watch the rest of the show. Cause I, I, from what I hear, that's the best episode. I mean, it was okay. I, there was some interesting things about it. Really why I watched it. It was not, um, I, I was hanging out with my roommates, uh, the other night and, um, we we're, you know, we were t- talking and, um, I think it was like really warm. So I, um, you know. Went outside and smoked a cigar. It was nice. It was beautiful. And then um they were going to watch Book of Boba Fett, and so I I thought I'd you know join them or whatever. And um or sorry, uh, Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan, I got Obi-Wan, I got George. what you mean. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. It was like one, obviously, I don't know where what any you know what anybody's doing, but two. Um, I thought it was really. I th- two things stood out to me. Okay, two observations. Maybe these are nitpicks, I guess. But um, I mean, since I don't know the rest of the show, who knows? Um, I did not like that that Anakin thought that just throwing a bunch of rocks. Oh wait, spoilers. I guess. Sure.
1: Uh, <laughs> Is it spoiler though? Because you know, do
0: people care? I no. mean, I guess I, who knows? I don't know. Uh, I did not think that it was cool that Anakin was just going to throw a bunch of rocks on Obi-Wan and, and call that a day. I mean, if, if Anakin is really trying to get vengeance for being burned alive and cut, you know, almost in two, um, by, by Obi-Wan, wouldn't he want to do some like gruesome stuff? He would want to treat
1: Obi-Wan like the younglings. <laughs> That he, sure. he
0: brutally murdered. Um, well, well I, will, I,
1: he, I will say in the third episode, there's a pretty, like, I mean, I, besides the scene looking pretty garbage, there's a good scene of um, Vader, like, force pushing Obi-Wan into fire and, like, singeing his arm. And there's something very, like, it's kind of dumb because you don't, you are know, like, obviously he doesn't die, Right. But there's a lot more yeah. emotion in that scene of like I want him to burn the way I burned, you know? Right, right. right. Like, I, and but it, that's
0: what I would have expected in it, a in a fight in a final fight scene like this. Oh yeah. Or like at least at least the you know have it be a uh, um, maybe like a role reversal of sorts. And and it, to me it just felt like ah, I'm just gonna dump a bunch of rocks on him and sure, that'll sure. be good enough, you know. So that was my first observation. Second observation was. Um, really Luke Skywalker did not mention being chased or, uh, run down by a, by an angry, vengeful, um, red lightsaber Jedi as a child. He wasn't having like PTSD (laughs) Vietnam flashbacks about this. Um, and that, you know, I don't know that again, nitpick of all nitpicks, but he bumped his head,
1: um, dude. He doesn't remember. Yeah, he forgot. He forgot, dude. Yeah, sure. That's stupid. So, I mean... (laughs) Honestly, the last episode, maybe the first episode, the first and second episode, I would say the first two and the last two are probably the best of the show, Um, but yeah, I would say that you've seen enough just watching that last episode, Um, and it's funny you bring up Kenobi, because of course I watched it too, I have a lot to say about Kenobi for this episode of the podcast. Uh, And I'm sorry if you don't want to hear me talk about Star Wars, but I think it is closely tied to um, the things, or it's not tied, but it's like, it was interesting. Thematically, maybe. Yeah, thematically, Deer Hunter, right? And what happens in Deer Hunter feels like an extremely mature and complex uh, exploration of what could have been shown in Kenobi, (laughs) Now, sure. I have heard a lot of arguments for Kenobi saying, you know, it's just dumb fun. It's just dumb Star Wars, you know, just have fun with it. And to be honest, that perspective has sort of left me more positive on the Kenobi show. I'm like, why why would I why should I care really? Like, you know, there isn't there really shouldn't be anything too deep about Star Wars anymore. But it sure does have my wheels turning when I watched Deer Hunter and a representation of, like, post-war friendship, right, uh, severed friendship, right, through, like, kind of horrific events. Um, and and also, you know, uh, a few months back, I watched some of Game of Thrones, and I know I brought this up earlier, but, like, thinking about the prequel politics and the execution of, like, political factions, like, in Game of Thrones. It's like, man, like, there really could have been something... Um much deeper about Star Wars because it has that glossy paint you know it has the it has kind of the creative um in inno- like creative like um I, can't, I, I it's on the tip of my tongue what I'm trying to think of it's like imagination that's the word I'm thinking of create it has like this imagination that's just like man I want to be in this universe i want to peek around every rock and when you do characters in a way that are like emotionally impactful it just like settles with such a nice finish you know i would say the jedi fallen order is the best star wars you can get uh today to be honest if you want something modern um that video game has pretty good character you know emotion uh in the star wars universe and it's not really doing kind of wild things. It's sort of more of like, what would it be like, you know, if you were a youngling that survived, like Order 66? And they, I think they just dive into that with, you know, gameplay, video game aspect. But it does it surprisingly better than any show or movie has in the last five, six years in Star Wars when Disney's had the license. So it, it, it can be done, you know? So I do want to talk... I mean, as we talk about Deer Hunter and, you know, to be honest, I, I, I'm kind of interested to talk about this movie because it feels like most people haven't heard of this movie that's our age, right? Um, Maybe, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot to learn from Deer Hunter and I think the character execution uh, in this movie that we're talking about this week, like, man... I'm hungry for that in Star Wars. And that's because, to me, I'm like, that's because I'm, I've am i become a fan of Star Wars in a way that's like, I've tasted the good bits, Empire Strikes Back, you know, I guess the original trilogy, there are these small bits in the Clone Wars series, I would even say Fallen Order as a game, has like some of that emotion too, and it's like, man, I just want them to have these great creative minds just knocking it out of the park. I'd even say Episode Seven like has some good some good bits in there too. So, yeah, I finished Kenobi as well. Um, fairly lukewarm, but I just decided to kick back and enjoy it. And I have finished Stranger Things Season 4 for a second time with Glenn. So that's, that's the other thing that I was going to say. I
0: watched the first three episodes uh, with Kiana, um, and she kept asking, why is this one so scary? Um, but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, so far so good. I, I'm enjoying it a lot more than um seasons two and three for sure at this point. Um I feel like I like the um I don't know. It gives yeah, it it definitely has shifted tonally. Um and I enjoy sort of the slice of life aspect and it's a little more it's a little more um all encompassing and kind of deals with their personal lives in a more Um, in kind of an organic way, it's, it's very tropey. It's very eighties in, in some ways, but, um, I kind of like that. I, I enjoy the, um, the vibe of that. And it's also, it's also under, you know, on the, that's, you know, what it is on the surface level, but then underneath it so far has been a kind of a, a nice deep well of, um, you know, talking about trauma and talking about the things that, you know, come up in the past, um, being, you know, even a little bit about their own positions as, you know, child stars, um, being, you know, growing up and sort of having a lot of pressure on them, things like that, which, which I think is really interesting. It's a little bit meta. Um, and you know, it's, yeah. So, so far I've, I've enjoyed it, but don't tell me anything about it. What is your second time viewing been like?
1: This, this is probably the most beautiful TV show I've ever watched. And I know (laughs) I have not seen Breaking Bad, but I I just think the execution is so indulgent for a TV show. Like the budget is absurd in this season. Um, I I just, I feel like I've just been admiring the beauty. And to me, season four is the best season of Stranger Things by a long time. Long amount. And I think what really impressed me, and I don't, I don't really, I'm not gonna get into spoilers, Cameron, because I don't want to ruin it for you. But towards the end, you know, there's obviously a stretching of disbelief as the pieces kind of fall together. Um, I think the show does a great job setting up some mystery, uh, and really be and and really kind of doing this thing where it's like they, they build up tension and there's a release, but there's always like, but you know, like the show really has like this good way of doing that, especially towards the the last part of it. And it, well, I and think it,
0: there's going to be a part two, right?
1: Yeah. It's supposed to,
0: yeah. Yeah. Drop in like a couple days.
1: Yeah. What I, what I think was, is really well balanced in this season is that the characters are successful in some moments and they fail, which rises tension in other moments. And, I think it really balances that win-win that makes the audience go hooray, and mm-hmm. also like it, it does this other thing where it's like sometimes you're not quite sure, you know, like yeah, sometimes yeah, you're yeah. like, uh-oh, how are they going to get out of this? Like, what even, what is even happening? So I just feel like the pacing, um, and the way that it really sinks its hooks into you, I, I feel like this show. Um, yeah, it's I think it's my favorite season. I I can't believe I watched the whole thing a second time. I don't know of a TV show I've done that ever. Like like especially after just watching it. Do you know what I mean? That I yeah. would sit through and watch it again. And it was a real treat to watch the last episodes with Glenn. And he was at the end he was like he came home after watching the last episode and was like, "Okay, we got to see the next one." And I was like, "It's not out yet." And he was like, "Dude, you can't do this to me like i have to know you know like i have to know where <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, going yeah. so that's just a great feeling to be watching a show like that so highly recommend uh season 4 it is pretty graphic right Cameron? I those first 3 episodes are like whoa gosh what yeah, the brutal. heck dude like
0: that that's why kiana kept saying that she she kept like closing her eyes which is not like her actually um she's pretty she's pretty fine with, with most violent things. But yeah, the couple sequences are like, wow,
1: (laughs) dude, that introduction, the introduction to, um, the show was released right after, Mm, um, what was it like the recent shooting at the school? Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they had to put a message and I was like, Oh, you know, like that's, I like, I saw the message at first and I was like, Oh, you know, like, that's I guess they're just trying to be sensitive, and then the opening scene, and you're like, oh, like like yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And you're like, little, oh yeah, my definitely. gosh, like you needed to put in even more intense warning at the beginning of this because it is, it it really is uh, graphic. Definitely, I I think yeah. the graphic element, the horror element in this season is, um, it's it's hard to recommend compared to the first season because the first season is very Goonies, it's very fun, mm-hmm. and. I, th- I think you're right, Cameron, that, that some of the themes in this season are really um, surprisingly deep. And Juliana actually picked up on it pretty early on, like within the first two episodes. She's like, oh my gosh, like I love this like kind of over-dramatized version of exploring kind of like a survivor's guilt, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was like, wow, I didn't, even p- I didn't even pick up on that. I know it's obvious, but like w- watching it, like the first episode, she's like, I love this. And I was like, Whoa! I, I guess, yeah, I guess there's something awesome about it. So, yeah, I I watch it unless you're really squeamish. Just close your eyes at the parts that it, they make it very clear when there's going to be something gnarly <laughs> happening. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, sure. sure. Jul- Juliana <laughs> at watched the she, end of every episode, <laughs> Juliana, Juliana, she closed her eyes for most of the the, the horrifying scenes. So, yeah, yeah, um, and she still loved it. She loved it. She thought the season was great. So. Uh, we have a question from Patreon. Uh, if you support us on Patreon at the five dollar level, you can write in questions like our Patreon Tim Smith wrote in. He writes, why does or why does this year feel like a bad year for film? It seems like it's going by extremely quick and there's nothing that's too exciting in theaters. I mean, we're halfway, right? I feel like we're kind of ramping into that summer midpoint, Cameron. Um, and you were talking about this a few episodes ago of like how you feel like this is the COVID year. Um, but with, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like I've been watching some fun movies this year. And I guess that's kind of from a more casual perspective of approaching the theaters with Doctor Strange being a little fun. I kind of consider Stranger Things to be sort of a cinematic no, thing. that's a TV show. Bro, <laughs> dude, some of the episodes are like, an hour and a half, and I'm sitting. That there, is true. I'm yeah, like, it is, this it is, is long. Yeah, again, indulgent is probably the best word for it. Um, for sure. And and you know, I've heard a lot of good things about Top Gun. I feel like the blockbusters are kind of out there, um, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't feel too different to me, Cameron. But I don't have you know. My ear to the floor with it, so.
0: Yeah, I think this year has been pretty bad so far, although I said that about the last two years as well. Um, And I probably said that (laughs) until December. I usually say that about every year. So Mm. um, I guess we'll see. Uh, Obviously, every year something comes out that surprises me. Usually, I guess. Um, Something comes out that surprises me. I am not so convinced this year. Maybe there will be something I I'm, you know, I'm excited for Nope. Um, but you know, yeah, basically I, I think this year has been terrible and I'll reiterate what I said. Um, the, it seems like the wave of movies that were held from COVID has kind of finally passed. And now we're getting the dry spell in that little COVID season. Maybe the, maybe it'll pick up. Maybe I'm, overblowing it. I don't know. Um, but usually, I mean, you know, like 18 months for, um, 18 months to two years for a lot of movies. That's kind of, it seems normal to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is, I think we're seeing the drought, you know, it's like, remember when, um, uh, Isaac, when, when there was, oh no, what, what was that? Okay. So in 2008, when the recession happened, nobody was like, people were, there was a big drop in the amount of Christmas trees people bought. Okay. And so in 2018, um, there was also a, um, a severe lack of, uh, you know, there wasn't as many Christmas trees that year because, um, they it takes ten years to plant and grow a Christmas tree, uh, mm. to you know, to the right size. And so, because there was less demand in two thousand eight, you know, ten years from then, it just you know was the same kind of thing. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I think is happening now. There was there was a drought because of COVID, and we're kind of getting that, um, you know, in the two year ish period, um, since then. So, that's my thought. Uh, I know obviously a lot of movies were made uh in covid in the time period but i'm just saying there's there's you know we're seeing kind of the maybe the ends of those
1: and getting into maybe that that drought period
0: who knows it could turn around i could be wrong so
1: yeah i mean i don't know i'm a big jordan peel fan so i feel like nope is probably going to be my dune of this year i'm i'm pretty excited about it i'll i i got to see top gun but i feel hypocritical going to see it Without seeing the original, I really want to see the original before I eh, see one. Yeah, who cares? And um, <laughs> just see it; it's great. And <laughs> see it in theaters. I'll probably see the new Thor movie just because I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm a, a a capybara or something. I have no brain. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, I, I, Tim, I guess in terms of, like, art movies, I wouldn't have any idea, Cameron. Are there any, like, prolific directors releasing anything this year besides Jordan Peele that you can think of, Cameron? Um,
0: not that I can think of. There might be a Scorsese movie this year later. There might be a Fincher movie maybe later. Um, jury's out on either of those. I think they're both kind of in post-production so we'll see but um none that i can think of
1: okay all right well this is again cinema spectator you can support us at patreon.com slash ecfs productions get access to our irregular bonus content for just a dollar and of course the entire library of our old content as well that's commentary tracks bonus episodes everything like that Uh, You can also have your questions read on air just like Tim did and claim the ability to vote on films we watch each month. If you don't have a few dollars, it's all good. We vastly appreciate a rating on iTunes or telling friends and family or anyone about the show. It really helps uh, us grow and be encouraged to do this podcast each week. Um, We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Of course, thank you for your time. And Cameron, it's time to get into Deer Hunter. I, I I Really had no idea what to expect for this movie, but I sighed heavily when I saw the runtime. I I, I was like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Three hours, man. Come on.
0: Well, the last two movies that we've watched have been three hours. I think it's kind of a thing for war movies, actually.
1: Yeah, um, kind of epic, I'm to f-
0: right? Trying to think of a 90-minute war movie. Oh, actually, uh, not 90 minutes, it's like two hours. But Dunkirk is like the perfect length for mm. um, you know, what it what it is. But um, and one of Nolan's shortest war movies, Tim. Hear that? Dunkirk is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Deer Hunter is about it's, it's sort of tangentially about uh Vietnam, but it's really about the effects of Vietnam on. Uh, Not just the characters who we follow, but the village and sort of the little town in Pennsylvania that they live in. And uh, like the tangling web of effects that it has on lots of different people um, surrounding. And um, it starts with, you know, maybe the final days that they're going to spend together in this town. Um, Their celebration. They go to a wedding. Um, Which is kind of a very long sequence, but, you know, it sets up their characters in sort of who they are pre-Vietnam, how good their relationship is, and then they go on, you know, a deer hunt. Also, I want to just address this first and foremost. Tim wrote that there is no deer hunting in this movie. And I want to say, complete lie. Dude, whoever told you
1: that is a liar. (laughs) I legit was like throwing punches in my living room. I was like, there's not just one deer hunting scene. I mean, come on. (laughs) There's two. (laughs) It's in the title, you know? It's in the title. You know, I thought we were going to have a little Arthur Morgan moment, uh, which, I mean, there are are a few moments in this movie that are kind of like that. But um, I thought it was going to be like in Vietnam. There's going to be like an imaginary deer, you know, some sort of representation of the deer and the wolf that's in uh, Red Dead 2. No, but, but. It,
0: it, no, it's a literal deer hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it actually has thematic, um, significance in the characters, which I guess we'll get into, but, um, yeah, but really, I mean, it's, it's not as, as sort of cut and dry about the Vietnam War as something like Apocalypse Now is, um, where that's a movie that, you know, obviously follows one character, but it, it's going through sort of the craziness of the war and journeying deep sort of into the the treachery that is uh, Vietnam. This is very isolated to the characters that we see. And... Um, so they, you know, they're they're going off to uh, to war, and this is their last hurrah. They all, you know, celebrate together, and it's sort of raucous and very rowdy, and also, you know, kind of fun. It seems like they have, even though they seem very working class, and they are very working class. They're having fun. They have a sort of a community together, and it feels very organic in the beginning. And they go off to war. Um, it follows the main character. His name is Michael, um, or Mike, uh, who's played by Robert De Niro. And he, you know, ends up being captured by the Viet Cong at one point. And you see a very intense sequence of which is actually one of the most controversial sequences of the movie, um, where he um, is forced to play Russian roulette. Um, against basically his other, uh, POWs and, um, the scene is, is beautifully constructed, I think, but it's also very, very intense and very terrifying. Um, and there's something about the, the, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great sequence and obviously it's what most people know about it, but, um, they eventually escape, uh, he and some of his, you know, hometown friends. And, um, lots of terrible things happen while, while they're in Vietnam, um, and sort of one by one piecemeal, they end up coming back to this town in Pennsylvania. Um, and the town, it it seems like has maybe frozen in place a little bit, but it's still kind of, um, they get back and it, or Mike gets back and it feels very different to him. It, he he doesn't see it the same way. And so the story is kind of a um, a very free flowing, very 70s style um, sh- showcase of what sort of going to war and coming back and being this, um, you know, some would say hero in, in a lot of ways. Um, what that does to a person and and how it sort of changes their outlook and their relationship with other, you know, with who ostensibly were their best friends. Um, did I miss anything there? Just a, a
1: short recap. Um, no, no. I think that was perfectly covered in the plot. So... Yeah, Cameron, I mean, this is your first time watching the movie,
0: right? Yes, it is. So um,
1: I want to give my thoughts, but I kind of want to hear your initial sort of impression on the movie as well, just because obviously you're the expert here. So,
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of movies like this. Um, this is like very common to do in the 70s where it, it wasn't really... It's not that plot heavy. Um, it's very stylistic and character driven. Um and, you know, you think of a movie like The Godfather, or you th- think of a movie, um, um, I don't know, some of the, some of the Sc- Scorsese movies are kind of built in this way. Um, like, uh, Mean Streets is, a you know, a movie that I love, but, uh, is kind of free floating like this, um, about a, a group or about sort of a town, a, you know, a neighborhood, something like that. Um. I loved the uh, the way this movie ends and sort of the the beautiful poetry of the movie. Um, it's made in like a, a um the 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 th- thirds kind of reflect each other in a lot of ways um, and so the you know the first sort of bit of them celebrating is mirrored by you know, the ending of them um, very somberly um mourning their you know the loss that has happened in their town and you know in the middle there's these small pockets that kind of he you know mike is reminded of his trauma um back in vietnam and so so there's this sort of um push and pull within the movie about sort of The before event and then the after event that that sort of brings him to a place of feeling very uncomfortable. Um, And I like the way that that's that's structured. But I think for most people, it's going to seem kind of slow and meandering, I would say, um, because it's not really that plot driven. Even like some parts of the plot where you're like, wait, 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 I want to know more about that. <laughs> it kind of just breezes past and you're like, oh, wait, he's just back in, he's back in Vietnam looking for his friend, like ju- just like that. Like, <laughs> like he's, what is, what's happening? You know, there's, there's these plot elements that a lot of, I think a lot of stories would dive into in order to maybe, you know, have the audience go along with the story a little bit more that this movie kind of just throws out the window. Even them getting captured by the Viet Cong, um, like I, I don't even know if I caught like how they that happened. I don't remember. <laughs> like, right. uh, Like there wasn't a there wasn't like a moment where they you know are walking and they get captured. Like I think it just cuts and they're captured <laughs> in right. Vietnam. Right. Um, and so so there's these there's these points where if you're sort of just loosely paying attention or if you're not. Um, or if your main concern is maybe about plot, um, you can, I can see how someone would be like, eh, it like, it doesn't really make sense. Like what is like, what's happening in the movie? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't jive with me. because It's not very plot, plot driven. Um, but if you're paying attention to sort of the characters and the emotion sort of locked underneath the, the surface of the movie, um, it's very powerful. And, And I mean, the ending, that ending shot is like so beautiful. Like it's, it's, it's similar. It reminded me a lot of, um, the ending of, um, of, oh
1: shoot. What was the, the Kubrick movie that
0: we watched? The, um. uh,
1: Oh, uh, Full Metal Jacket?
0: No, 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 no. Uh, it reminds me of the ending of Paths of Glory. Oh um, yes. Where, you know, they're. There's the somber closing with, you know, singing and, um, it gives you just this feeling of, of you're not really sure if, um, yeah, you're not really sure how to take it, but it's an overwhelming feeling of emotion, um, Mm. that you get from, from, you know, the sense of it. There's not, there's not a, um. I don't think this movie has like a message in the same way that Apocalypse Now does, um, but it really has a an emotion, um, and it feels so, and it it it's very deep in that um, emotion that it's trying to to convey. Um, so I I really l- liked it, and I I think I'll probably enjoy it more and more as I think about it too. Um, even just sort of. I watched it today, but even just in the couple of hours that, um, I've sat with it, it's, it's grown on me, um, because of how sort of complex the emotion really is, um, underneath. So,
1: yeah, yeah. I, you know, the first thing or the first comparison that I felt about deer hunter was, or is it? Is it The Deer Hunter or it's Deer Hunter? Deer, it's okay. The Deer Hunter. Okay, all right, hunter. I apologize. All right, The Deer <laughs> Hunter. Uh, I began to think about uh, Days and Confused because mm-hmm. it does feel very hangout ish. and Yeah, a bit. I didn't like Days and Confused because I didn't know where it was going or what it was trying to do at all. Um, and I guess watching this movie, maybe help me realize something about Days and confused that it's more about like in like an undescribable emotion. Right. And it's supposed to be ca- like kind of tapping into that with nostalgia where this movie is almost like trauma, isolation and heavy grieving kind of being those overwhelming feelings versus nostalgia. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the beginning I was really beginning to like I, I was I was very very much like disengaged with this movie. I was like, I'm not entirely sure what's happening. okay they're being shipped off to war, but they're doing a bunch of goofy things. And then it begins to kind of brew this really unique setting of a blue collar section of America, the steel mill, followed by this almost like Roman or Russian Catholic. Uh, influence, right? There's Russian, there's some sort of Russian influence in this town. Yeah. They're,
0: they're either, they're some sort of Eastern European. It's not really explained. They could be like Ukrainian or Russian, but well, Christopher
1: Walken's character is pointed out as Russian later in the movie, right?
0: uh, He, they ask him if he was Russian. He says, no, I'm American. So they don't, I, who knows? Um, Yeah. But
1: yeah. So there's like this very strange setting in this movie Um, With sort of like, to me, like it's Eastern European in America, which is already a unique um, setting for exploring uh, Vietnam, because obviously the Cold War and the tension between the USSR and the United States during that period and how Vietnam was sort of seen as this proxy conflict uh, that was related to the battle between capitalism and communism, right? So already there's this interesting environment where these soldiers are coming from where there's an Eastern European influence, yet they're being rowdy boys uh, that, are, that are very, you know, American hardworking guys, yet they have sort of this like immigrant culture that's ingrained in America. Like there's something very um, comparable to the Godfather, right, um, in the way that it's like they're still part of their culture, but they're still very much American. And so I, I was beginning to kind yeah, of be intrigued yeah. by the way that these guys were being set up and how there's this kind of familiar brotherhood um, that that's banded with these with these workers. And you get to spend time with sort of the relationships and the drama with them. And I think it is a little over bearing or it's, it's a little long, especially that the, the wedding dancing, I was beginning to get irritated, um, but it's still not horrendous, I guess. Or like, it, it's not like, like it, I kept thinking like, I don't like this, but for some reason I'm still watching it. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't the feeling of, I have to watch this for the podcast. It was more of like, I'm still kind of curious where this is going.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And even when De Niro's running down the street with the wedding car and, you know, he's stripping and he ends up like kind of in that basketball court. And he's like, what am I doing? You know, with my uh, there's kind of like this coming of age feeling that's that's happening um, with these guys before they're sent off to war. And there's some great introspective commentary about like, you know, if I like Christopher Walken says, like, I want to make sure I'm back home you know, no matter what. And there's kind of like this, there's this like feeling of like things are about to change. Mm. This happiness is about to change, you know? And then you kind of move into that Vietnam phase of the movie, um, which I thought was a really great change of pace at that point. And I have to second what you were saying, Cameron. The Russian roulette scene is phenomenal. Like just a riveting and like... It it's it's kind of hard to watch at first, but when, um, you know, Christopher Walken's character and De Niro's character are facing off in that in that room, you're really just on the edge of your seat. And I like watching it still. Like it's an old movie, but it it's just it's one. It's like a scene that's like timeless. It's a scene that's mm-hmm. like I feel like I'm watching the tension i felt in the theater watching dune right i know it's kind of like a weird comparison but like for me when i watched dune dune i was like overwhelmed in the theater like there's like this rising score like you know there's this incredible there's like these incredible like character um and char- character drama and tragedy in that movie there's like this rising feeling in that scene where it's like it's a razor's edge. I have no, I have no idea what is going to come out of this scene, and I just need to see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the highest praise to the Russian roulette scene. And then even looking forward into the, this movie's um, kind of resolve, right? How it continually reminds you how good that Russian roulette scene is, <laughs> and also how, how important thematically... It is for the, for the characters as well. Right. Like it's, it's not a scene that's just awesome on its own. Like it's very important for the movie and what it's, it's trying to say. Right. Um, kind of like this deep exploration of like the loss of the human soul when going through something like that, you know, um how yeah, humanity the, humanity the and fear, me- memory is like it's like gone dissipated with that amount of trauma right uh, um, and
0: and you know both with your own life and with someone else's life too um, yeah. you know there's this feeling in the beginning that you know they have this they have this great sense of fear um, with, with regard to the gun you know this is like something that is is extremely um, this situation is extremely terrifying to them. um, and by the end of the movie, they're th- it's like they're numb to that, you know, there's something there's something that's lost that that fear um not that it's gone and not that the they have you know like a carelessness about their lives, but um, you know, comparing the first scene to the... Um, the last scene between uh, Christopher Walken and and Robert De Niro, um, th- they're both very cold, much colder um, in the last scene comparatively. Whereas you know in in the first one, there's you know it's tense and they're all sort of um, there together and it's like it feels very raw. Uh, actually, during the filming of the scene, um, they <laughs> they got the they filmed in thailand um and so Mm -hmm. the guy they had uh, apparently they had a really hard time getting someone to portray the um the guy who's like making them um play russian roulette um but they they eventually found a guy who was who hated americans um and so wanted to (laughs) wanted to play the guy yeah and um the slapping is 100% genuine and that's why they feel like agitated, you know, throughout that whole scene because they're, they are being
1: (laughs) slapped and harassed basically. Um, So, um, man, I mean, probably so difficult to film a scene like that just as like, I mean, these are like huge actors, you know, I don't know about at this time. Well, yeah, I mean, De Niro
0: certainly was. Um, De Niro was an absolutely massive, saw at that point because he had done, um, he had done the Godfather movies or Godfather part two. And, um, you know, he had been in a handful of Scorsese movies. He was just about to be in, um, raging bull, which, you know, is going to rocket him. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's like, he's massive at this point.
1: Dude, so. but those the scenes like when he's getting slapped and he like basically just flips out on the guy, like it's so good. Like it's so yeah. like it's oh my goodness, like it's just you're watching it and you're like this is prime de Niro, you know? Like this is like it right here, you know? Um and it sucks to know that it wasn't part of it, but I I don't know. Like to me there's also like what a iconic performance in, in, in that scene, you know, um, I guess it was worth the suffering, you know, even though it was probably very impolite, you know, I, I, still think <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly, um, moving when you watch it. Yeah. And, um, so, so you get this middle section that really begins to kind of shake things up. It's more action packed, a little bit more adventurous, And then there's like this, this kind of third section of the movie where there's suddenly this reflection of being distant and things are like, you know, not the same. Um, And that's where it like began to kind of come full circle for me where I was like, this movie, I don't know if I can fully understand it because it's such a deep and relatable feeling that it's like i'm okay with just feeling it. Do you know what i mean? Like i yeah. don't need to like sit here and think about like what they're trying to do with the plot whereas there's almost something beyond an exploration of vietnam with this movie yeah. where you know, at least just personally relating with it like being a young guy setting off to do something that you're kind of called to. And then returning back home and being like, why do I feel this way? You know, I think mm. probably one of the things, and this is obviously, you know, I'm not comparing this to being shipped off to war. Okay, so don't this take is your it. your personal Vietnam? Do, no, no, no. <laughs> do not take it that way. Do not take it that way. But I, I would say that this feeling, you can find this feeling in this movie being very relatable because, like, um, I think a lot of people at least, you know, after high school and going to college and returning back home, there's kind of something that's changed and you're not entirely sure how to put it. I remember I had a friend who told me, it's so weird to move out and then go home because it reminds you of like this restriction and how you were trying to kind of pull away from that. There's also like this undying comfort with being there, you know? And he's like, it's, it, it, it's a very weird like like pulling of emotion because you don't really, like you do want to go back home, right? And you do want to have like that kind of freedom adventure again. But it's also like, man, there's something comforting here, but I don't feel like I can stay here anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And it's not the same. Like it doesn't feel,
0: um, it feels different. And and even when things like change, two you're like wow this is like this used to be my room you know this was yeah where I grew up and then you know you don't you don't have that anymore yeah there's there's something there's definitely something to that and I think I think the emotion obviously you know it's much less comfort in this movie but the emotion he's feeling in the last third is the sense of why don't I feel the same Why don't I? I thought I would come back and I would be fine and I would, you know, feel I would, you know, go back to the same bar that I always went to and hang out at the mill and you know or that's you know the steel plant or whatever and um, you know go deer hunting with my friends and I can't. You know, it's not. It's not the same.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and and so like I'm again like I just want to make this clear like I'm not comparing <laughs> our lives to going off to war, not at all. But what I'm saying is that this movie is doing something so much deeper than exploring Vietnam or being a soldier, right? Which I think some movies get stuck on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even some movies get stuck on great themes to explore like heroism. I would say that Saving Private Ryan. It's not universal, but it is inspiring, right? Like, there's this inspiring heroism that's like, I can apply that to my life, you know? I There's something about sacrifice and, you know, uh, being strong in the force of adversity, right? Like, something about Saving Private Ryan, it's uplifting, it's hopeful, it's still universal, but it's not the same way that this movie is like, you, you know this feeling, you know? And we're going to take some time to make sure that you kind of, like, can understand where they're coming from, you know? Um, this movie takes a long time to follow De Niro's character through the good, through the adversity, and then the return of what was good, but something's different, right? And, and I think it does, it does it in a way where you have a hard time not reaching that feeling which I think is to the movie's success, right? And um, I think that's what makes it kind of like, most definitely, like a, a masterpiece, right? Mm. Um, this movie is hard for me to want to recommend. It's hard for me to be like, you can sit through the three hours, <laughs> um, you know? Because it is it is long, it is lingering. It is also, it is long. Um, I would say, you know, it it takes its time because I don't think you can get to these feelings without spending this amount of time with the characters, right? Yeah. And I think uh,
0: I, I think the first section, the big section of, you know, the wedding and them celebrating oh, my camera went out, but No, nah, okay. it's fine. Um, the the wedding and them celebrating and being um, you know, together and this sort of camaraderie celebration, um, that whole sequence has to happen before, um, you can have the feeling of coming back and it feeling different. You know, you can't have the comparison if you don't have what, you know, what's happening before. And so spending the time and really, um, engaging in the sort of the world and the characters and sort of the, the feeling of, of how they exist, um, like what their places are in this little town. Um, it feels so real so that when you come back to it, um, you, you also miss that celebratory feeling and that like, um, feeling of camaraderie it's gone and you know that it's gone and it doesn't have to say, he doesn't have to have like a, a monologue where he talks about how sad he feels because, uh, you know, it's, he's come back and all his friends feel different. And, you know, he's, he's sad about, you know, being uh, back and he doesn't know why, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, he doesn't need anything like that because you, you just feel it, you know, you feel it with the, with the characters.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's what's so great to reflect on with that first section is how kind of annoying it is at first when you're like, this is slow, what are they doing, you know? And then how you how much you miss that section by the end. Mm. It like it really brings the audience through that emotion because like towards the end of that like moment where they're hanging out before they get shipped off, right? Towards the end of that moment you're beginning to kind of feel like you're a part of the group of guys. You know, you're like, okay, I was annoyed when they were dancing. I was annoyed by some of how they're in the bar screaming, da-da-da-da. But but by the time, you know, I, I think it really began to hit for me when they exit the wedding and they're all getting in the car and they're all chatting. Um, I'm like, th- there's something special about the way that these characters are interacting and it's mm-hmm. very relatable and then afterwards when they're driving the w- road and they're pranking the guy by leaving him to pee <laughs> on the side of the road and, st- and stuff you're like okay you know like I'm, I'm starting to get down with this right and then it cuts to <laughs> the flamethrower kill right in, the, yeah, yeah, in Vietnam yeah. which is like just crazy right um, I I don't know like it really <sighs> it really comes around in a powerful way. And I just, that ending with him, you know, visiting, um, the guy who got married in the hospital in the wheelchair. Right. Um, that was a moment where I was like, I need to see like how this pays off. And then going to find, um, Christopher walking back in, in, uh, Vietnam, extremely fascinating, uh, Like, kind of slice of Vietnam as well. The ending of the war, which I think is, like, such a overlooked aspect of it. You know, I think it's kind of more...
0: It's overlooked in movies, but it's in the popular culture um, of sort of what we think about Vietnam. Like, I'm sure you've seen the, the... pictures of people climbing on top of each other to get into the helicopters, you know? So like, um, that image, you know, that they sort of recreate in this movie is, is very, you know, it's, it's like synonymous
1: with, with Vietnam and the loss of Vietnam, basically. What I, what I think really fascinated me about this movie in contrast with apocalypse now is how effective it is with sort of like a human's experience through vietnam and being deployed and how relatable and um emotional that experience is to people who didn't even go and to me it felt extremely patriotic uh in in a in an in a very like mature way Mm -hmm. um where it was almost like i was seeing the story of why not that i had an uncle that was shipped off to vietnam but it was like it was almost like I understood some of my veteran family members better after this movie. You know, yeah. There, yeah. there's something about this that's like, and the reason I brought up apocalypse now is because I, I feel like what was really beginning to irritate me about that movie is that it was very like, kind of like these are these, this is like a, a deep exploration and thought of of Vietnam on a broad scale. You know, like it's very like separated from the people that were on the ground. The, hmm. And and one yeah. of the complaints I had with Apocalypse Now is that it seemed like a lot of the soldiers on the floor were kind of two note or sort of, you know, like these charismas um, that were like almost stereotypical uh, is kind of how I felt about it. Whereas this movie, it takes soldiers in Vietnam, but it like echoes through their life, like before, during and after. And I was just like, what a, I, I like, I don't know. I was like, I don't, I don't think I've ever related with soldiers more than I have Mm. with this movie. Um, because that feeling is cranked up to 11 with the intense trauma they've experienced, but it's still a feeling I can recognize this movie made me recognize that, that emotion. As a matter of fact, it did it so well that I was beginning to compare my own life to something that I would never experience, you know, like something that I haven't gone through, but I was like, I get it. I don't just get it. I feel like I've had a mini version of that with small things in my life. Right. Um, Even the, like the interaction with uh, Robert De Niro's character and um, I'm going to forget his name. Uh, ch- 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 the guy with with weird hair that it was it was his last movie. Um, he was in uh, I think I think he was in Godfather Part Two. Oh, Kazal. Uh, yeah, John Cazal. Yeah. So the scene with Kazal and the pistol in the in the um in the hunting they go hunting again, right? And Kazal has this pistol yeah. and he's kind of messing around with it, and De Niro flips out because obviously the Russian roulette stuff. He puts the gun to his own head and pulls the trigger, right? And puts the gun to Kazal's head as well, flips out on him and then throws the, the pistol into like the lake or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, to me, it was like that scene kind of, maybe this is too personal. But it was like seeing a friend after you haven't seen them for a long time, you know, uh, and how suddenly like this weird, like there's just not the same understanding anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you might have been chill in high school, but suddenly it's like, boy, we really went different ways, you know. Uh, and it's almost like it's hard. You got, They're still friends, but it's hard to like even, you know interact the same way do you know what i mean like it it's it's i i feel like i'm rambling cameron but
0: no no i i i totally agree and there's there's something i feel like that sequence is again very powerful because of sort of the um plot implications of you know him being sort of very traumatized by his experience in uh, in Vietnam and, and the immaturity that he sees on display, um, with, with Cazal's character. And, and it, it feels like, again, without, without even saying there's something, um, there's something very, um, under the surface that's, that's sort of, uh, masked by, um, maybe the outburst, but there's something deeper that, that goes to sort of their relationship. And he doesn't have to say like, Oh, I've changed now that, you know, we've come back from Vietnam, but, um, you know, it's, it's shown in his relationship with his friends who, you know, at one point, and I guess there was tension before that. I mean, you know, they have that sort of conversation, uh, before he goes off where he, he talks about, um, you know, it's always something with you. You are, you're always forgetting, you know, your boots or your pants or, you know, whatever. Uh, but you always have that gun. And, and so like, there is some of that before, but, but it's an, in an understanding of, of him feeling, um, you know, it's like, it's like almost like a little brother or something, you know, there's this, there's this sort of, um, friendly nature to that sort of argument. Whereas coming back and having that experience and him being extremely aggressive in that sense, um, it takes a much different tone and Kazala's attitude for the, you know, their attitude together for the rest of the movie is basically like they don't speak they don't look at each other you know like th- there's yeah. you can sense that there's a change um within them so yeah no i i mean i i think the movie handles that so beautifully like i i i'm impressed with how um i i i want to say like It's one of the best representations, I feel like, of um, that sense of friendship and camaraderie that you have as sort of like a group of guys. Um, Mm. I I don't know. It, It feels very close to home, not that I, you know, have, you know, done all of the things that that these characters have done or whatever, but you know, it feels that relationship, those relationships feel very natural to me. And like what I think about, um, when I think of like the boys, you know, there's something to that. Um, and then when, when they come back and it feels different and they come home, you know, they're driving home from the deer hunt. Um, and he gets out and he kind of just takes his bags and they all get out and just like, you know, walk away with their stuff. It feels yeah, like, yeah. you know, comparatively when they drive home and they're, you know, they're all drinking and they've got the beers and they go to the go to the pub or whatever. You know, there's this there's this sense of like real somber, um, just like somber realization of what mm. what has actually happened, um, Yeah, which is it's beautiful. Yeah, it's
1: it's really it's really well done. Um Yeah it, by the, by the end of this movie it it wasn't feeling like an older 70s film to me. Um it was like I was just completely engrossed in the feeling, mm-hmm. right? And Robert De Niro visiting Christopher Walken back in um back in uh, Vietnam right like that that final interaction it it closed the loop in a way that I was like this movie is profound um, I don't know why because it was like it was almost like it just felt like such a poetic uh, conclusion to both of their characters um, but it was just like it was captivating. It was emotional. It was rewarding as an audience member. At least that's how I felt. Like I was like, I just, I needed to know what was going to happen. And then for the movie to end with the funeral and you're kind of like, man, like I'm just kind of, I'm moved, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to, like, I, I was like, man, like I'm just, I feel all these things. I'm not sure where to land and for them all to sing at the end in kind of a strange way. Like for me, it was like one of those scenes where it was like, I'm so emotionally moved and I just completely feel this, this singing scene together. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just, I, I love it. I love it. And I, there's taken out of context. That is a scene. Isaac would have laughed. at Right. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, but it's, It's a trip, man. You know, like this movie. Also, I want to say a couple things about some of the cast, right? Christopher Walken. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that he's like coast. Like he's like a major character in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can name a movie where I'm like Christopher Walken isn't just like, oh, look, guys, it's Christopher Walken (laughs) in a movie, you know? Like I feel like he's definitely one of those actors that's just like... Here he is, you know, you know him, but you don't. You know him, but you don't know what he's in, right? Uh, that's like kind of my interpretation of Christopher Walken, right? Um, and I, I think mean, he danced nowadays. I, I assume you know. Back then, he was,
0: he was. I, I mean, I, I've seen him mostly in supporting roles as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking
1: I, at his movie list now. It says he's in Catch Me If You Can, which I haven't seen. He's and the dad. Yeah. 1990s or 1999 Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. It looks like I don't know. I haven't seen that. Um, he's in Pulp Fiction, but I don't remember. He's the guy at all. with the watch.
0: Remember, he comes in. He's. It's been so oh long. My gosh, I, I literally gotta remember, uh, the
1: watch and your dad's watch. <laughs> Dude, I I actually cannot <laughs> no. remember a thing about Pulp Fiction. I remember, <laughs> I remember um, the car cleaning. I remember uh, John Travolta's. Uh, strange ending in that movie uh, with the bathroom, right? And, of course, the needle overdose scene um, and the fantastic ending with the robbery. Th- that's about all I remember about Pulp Fiction. So I, I should probably revisit it. You should. Um, because those those are the only things I can think of with that movie. <laughs> um, all iconic, amazing moments in the movie, though. So yeah. I feel like there's a lot going on, Cameron. Give me a break. I've only seen it once. Um... <laughs> yeah so uh, other than that i mean batman returns and click 2006 i don't know i haven't i don't know if i've seen these movies so um yeah so it was great to see him in kind of a major role in a movie i don't i yeah i don't i can't remember a, a movie that he's like in sort of like a major role um fantastic fantastic performance very i think Robert De Niro kind of carries a blue collar grit that's distant but familiar. It kind of reminded me of my grandpa until he spoke and had that New York accent. I was like, <laughs> bro, what is this? Like I, I kind of feel like De Niro's performance is it's good, but he's also still kind of in Italian mode, you know? Um and I don't know if it always fits because sometimes he'll speak and i'll be like "Uh, that doesn't feel like steel mill blue collar right
0: pennsylvania you know it's pretty close to new york i mean i feel yeah i feel like it 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 works and you could imagine where you know he doesn't really have a family in the movie it doesn't seem like so he could be from new york uh, so yeah so i i don't know that doesn't that doesn't seem like a too
1: big a stretch yeah, but Christopher Walken's character, there's something about him that's very like the guy you like a lot. Yes. Like yes. the good, the, he's like a very positive force in the movie. He's like the guy um, who
0: brings the friend group together and, you know, it's like yeah, he, he's, yeah. you know, he's like the, the person who, you know, is, is sort of cheerful and that everybody likes so you all sort of get along with each other. You know, he's like, he's kind of a magnet of the movie. And, and I would say De Niro's character is that way too. Um, you know, he has that same sort of, you know, those two are sort of the, 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 um, you know, the, the, the keystone to the pillar of their friend group. Um, Yeah.
1: He definitely feels more like the, it's like the, um, like in saving private Ryan with like the commanders, like Tom Hanks. And then there's his like commander friend, right. Um, but obviously their roles aren't exactly matched, but it's like kind of like that strong leader and the brain, the good brains of the group, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I, I don't know. I think their, their relationship is extremely convincing and great. And the only other thing I want to say about the cast is Meryl Streep's character, I think, is um, she is very like sympathetic there's something about her that's like she doesn't know what to do, and you, as an audience member, you don't really know what to do either. You know about all these feelings, so yeah. For some if, reason, she works <laughs> in the cast, right? And like, if
0: she, if you knew her, like if you were friends with her, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't even really know what to say. You know, you'd right. be like, man, like that's it's terrible. You know, like there's nothing, like there's nothing more that you can say to her character. Like if you, if you knew her, you know, it feels like, um, yeah, it feels like she exists again in this town. That's sort of in stasis. And you, you really feel for her, um, in the way that she, she also sees what's going on. She also knows that there's, there's been major tragedy, but she kind of, she wants to pretend like things are the same or like they can work things out. But in many moments of the movie, you know, she's just as lost as as everybody else.
1: Yeah. I The only other thing I want to say about Meryl Streep is it was shocking to me, at least, Cameron. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I couldn't stop thinking that she looked like Juzo's aunt the entire movie. Juzo's aunt? I was like... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, dude, like he looks related to her. Like, I was like, kind of shook by. It. Maybe I'm psycho, dude, but like, I was like, <laughs> there's something about their smile that was like know. that. That's like Juzo. Like, I literally <laughs> see Juzo in Meryl Streep. You know? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm, yeah, may- okay. Well,
0: <laughs> I have to. I'd have to think about it in in the context of.
1: Uh, I I just yeah I. <laughs> i don't know sorry to throw you a curveball i was just like i was watching this movie and i was like i can't unsee what i've just seen you know That's maybe so it's funny. just her being young or something but i was like have you seen a lot hey. of meryl streep movies i'm looking at i'm looking at the film she's in i i really don't think i have we watched um, manhattan she's the the ex-wife
0: who uh, who writes a book about about woody allen's character remember yeah and, and she yes. t- and he tried to drive a car into, <laughs> into her girlfriend
1: that movie yes was so funny. <laughs> yes i yeah i don't really remember her in it too much she's got like the I very
0: re- long hair and she's like very somber looking um like i in a, in a permanent eye roll um yeah that Yeah it's it's interesting cuz this is a very early i just want to talk a little bit of, i guess about some of the cast um, cuz um this is a very early role for her she was basically in like one movie and a, and a miniseries on tv and so this was i you know this was probably her her break in that way um and then obviously she was in manhattan uh, later on but but yeah i mean this the, she she was pretty much unknown um in this movie. And then, um, she is, uh, she was actually in a relationship with, um, Cazale, um, John Cazal, And mm. they, so he is a really, really interesting actor. Um, and we've basically watched all of his movies, um, which is, uh, both of the Godfather movies and this one. And then he has two more credits, which is, um, Dog Day Afternoon and, Um, the conversation. So I've seen all of those movies. All of them are, are pretty much excellent. So, um, but he, he kind of always plays that supporting role who is likable, um, but very, you know, like easy to hate, you know, he's got sort of this punchable attitude and face in some ways um, I don't know. He's a he's a really interesting actor, and you know he was Fredo in the Godfather movies. So, right, uh, right. you know he has that that sort of um, image. You have that image in your head about him. Um, but he actually passed uh, away before this movie came out. He he was wasn't able to to watch the full thing. Um, he had lung cancer, and so he died very you know early. He died, I think, at like age forty or something. Um, mm. so yeah, he was super young, uh, when he passed and, um, it's too bad. Cause he really was a special actor. I mean, the, the roles that he, he did very limited in scope, but basically all in like insanely well-regarded movies. Um, so it, that's, that's impressive. And so, you know, Meryl Streep and John Cazale. They had a thing together, and they, the studio actually, when they found out that he had lung cancer, um, they wanted to fire him uh, because they were afraid that one, that he couldn't get insurance, and two, that uh, he was, you know, gonna die during filming and they would have to restart. So uh, Meryl Streep basically put her weight um, against that and said that she would leave if they fired her. Um, so the studio kind of backed down in that way. But, um, I just found that was interesting. Another person of note was, uh, Chuck, Chuck who literally is not an actor. He's the big guy. He's Axel. Um, like the big bearded guy. He's not an actor. He's just a steel mill worker. (laughs) Like that's, that like he he was just working and they found him and they liked him so much that they gave him like a major role in the movie and that's his only credit he he has done nothing else (laughs) he just wow he just you know acted in this and then uh probably went back to the steel mill (laughs) so um yeah pretty impressive uh and i his his he's a funny character because he's he's kind of um maybe like the most simple of the group, but he's like, he's very lovable, uh, in his portrayal. So
1: I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, no, he's, he's great in it. And I also want to say that, uh, kind of like rough redneck Robert De Niro too, with the goatee. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see it. Pretty, pretty cool to see it. And, uh, honestly, like, yeah, the, the cast chemistry at the beginning, to me, clicked as a hangout movie pretty fast. As soon as they're in the bar and you kind of learn the context about how they're a bunch of trouble and the, the old people are like, oh, these young these young people, they're the worst, you know, the partiers and stuff. I mean, I'm in I'm currently engaged right now, Cameron. I'm like, man, like I I, I hope my wedding is half of a half of a riot as this one is, you know? Like, I was like, this this is like Goals right there, yeah you know? it looks really fun pretty much, and even the old people are getting into it at the end, you know they're dancing and having a good time so yeah um yeah, do I recommend watching the deer hunter um yeah, it's long, but yeah no i I do recommend it I felt this movie deeply and I am surprised how little. I hear about this movie. Now, I know it's 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 well-known and critically acclaimed and all that. It right? was a Best Picture winner. But when you think of Vietnam movies, you don't think of this movie. Yeah, um, it's lower I, on I, the list, yeah. Uh, and I think it's been kind of lost um, to our generation, Cameron. So I, I think it's a really unique movie for us to watch. Yeah. And I hope that this episode can kind of drive people to check it out, especially if you're like, you know, I like The Godfather, you know, I'm a fan of De Niro. Uh, I don't, like, if you into Vietnam movies, honestly, even if you're not, like, and you're kind of just into the, these 70s actors, right? Um, you'll find something here that y- y- you'll really like, I think.
0: Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, and and I would say partially this movie is lost on purpose, and I think Part of it is maybe the, um, it was controversial. I'll just say when it came out, it was very controversial. Actually, um, one aspect of it is its depiction of the war itself and of you know uh, the South and North Vietnamese, um, which is kind of I would say totally not. It's like tangential, basically, to the themes of the movie. Um, so. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't give much weight to that necessarily.
1: But um yeah, yeah, it does seem a little like um what is it? The NVA or something or whatever it's called, the the north side like yeah, the they're Kong. shown like they're they're bombing civilians and, you know, torturing prisoners of war and stuff. It's um it's pretty like it's pretty uh I don't know. Like the, the representation of the Vietnamese in this movie is, is kind of, I I don't know if it, like like you're right. It's not really the point of the movie, but I could see how some people would get upset about it. Yeah. Um, I yeah. don't think it's that's just a question.
0: It's, it's not a, I, again, it's not really what the movie is about, but um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's certainly, I mean, t- to be fair, it is portraying um like the worst moments of uh these people's lives in a lot of ways so um you know anyways it, it you know it's like it's like a movie that that you know singles out one like uh, american atrocity or whatever um you know yeah sure that's probably simplistic but also um you know maybe it's it's not uh necessarily bad for the story of it um I don't I don't know so um and then another reason I think so do you want to hear uh, uh, you know who Pauline kale is um only by name because uh she was the critic who is read heavily in the movie. I'm thinking of ending things. Um, <laughs> uh, and I would say made fun of it in that movie personally, but um, who knows? Um, remember that, uh, that sequence where they're reading um, and she's reading Pauline
1: Kale. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's a, li- a little bit. I, I don't know why Cameron, when you said I'm thinking of ending things, I thought of Manhattan. No, we no. were talking about it earlier, no. but no, no, no. I um. Well, anyway, re- is she reading it in the car?
0: No, no, is she's that- reading a poem, or she she's citing a poem in the car. She's saying some
1: stupid thing in the car. There's something.
0: Or... There's some. I think. He talks about it later in the car. There's something about that. Uh, there's something about Pauline Kael. I don't remember. But anyways.
1: Boo. Boo on that movie. So
0: she says, and this is why I think the movie, well, anyways, Pauline Kael is pretty well respected uh, in the film industry. Um, I don't know why, because I think she's a hack. But um, she uh, she said about this movie, the deer hunter is a romantic adolescent boy's view of friendship. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean this, this, uh, she does not like the movie, uh, because she thinks it's, um, adolescent, which I, I don't know if we're watching the, uh,
1: the same movie, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I will say that there is something inherently like, I, there's something very masculine about this movie in a tender hearted sort of manner where it is, it is kind of written and portrayed from like a man's experience and the brotherhood of friendship and things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, like when I think of like brotherhood or friendship, like I always think of like Lord of the Rings and how, um, even though that movie doesn't get as deep as this film, um, There is something more like, I I would say that, I I don't know. I don't know what a, what a, like a female perspective of this movie would be. Right. Um, kind of like when we watched Carrie, right. I was like, there's something, or or even, even, um, the Jennifer's body. Right. Mm, Yeah. yeah. Those, those movies have an exploration uh, from a female perspective that I can't really understand, but I, there was a part of me that was like, even though I haven't lived through that experience, like I feel, I, I understand something about the female experience watching this. Right? I'm not going to say that I've lived through it, right? But there was something that I felt with it, and so
0: yeah. But Kale treats I, it as like, uh, ah, ha, ha, this is so funny, men. You know, uh, this is hilarious. This is what like friendship is for men. You know, like that's that's her attitude in in this review. So. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it, I, it, it, she's the, you're right that there's something about, um, the movie that is very masculine. Um, but as, as a critic, I mean, I feel like she should be a little more, um, charitable, at least. I mean, like Carrie, you know, we, we don't necessarily understand some of the aspects of, you know, growing up a woman and sort of the, maybe the scariness of that. Um, but we can both understand and sort of sympathize with, or empathize maybe with, um, that view and sort of that upbringing, um, the tension of that. I think there's obviously, um, something being said here that shouldn't just be like dismissed, you
1: know, because of it's, Perspective. So I don't know. That's just me. Just, I mean, just from a male perspective, watching this movie, there is something that is, is very relatable to the friendships in this movie where, and I've seen this so often camera, obviously like you and I, we've known each other for a long time. And I think we are kind of weird guy friends because I remember from an early point, you and I had extremely deep conversations about things in life or exploring you know themes in media art and film and like applying them to our own life perspective right like I, I wouldn't say I, I have that experience with a lot of guys, right um, And what I think this movie really does well is that there's like that deep connection between Christopher Walken and Robert De Niro, there's like obviously something a lot deeper, right? I would say, Cameron, because you're one of my close friends from high school, like you and I, we've always had like kind of that stronger, deeper bond where it's like we've kind of, I don't know, there's there's just like a deeper level to our friendship, right? Um, and now we do this podcast every week and kind of ramble for <laughs> over an hour and a half, right? You, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's kind of like that knucklehead brotherhood with the surrounding guys around them. Not that, not that they don't have a love for each other, but it's like, it's like, there's, there's that moment with De and Christopher walking on the basketball court. That's like, Oh, they're, they're not just brothers. They're like, they're, they're like at that deeper level, you know? Mm -hmm. And then to then be in a pack of guys, with that really close friend at the same time, like it's very, I haven't seen a lot of movies do that. I haven't seen a lot of movies like be able to nail that feeling of like, you got your best uh, friend with you. And there's like a bond that is like deeper than the rest of the people around you, you know, but it's still like, you still are in love with the people around you. You still love being a part of them and the banter and the things that go on. And that's not an exclusive male feeling too like that that i i mean i know just from talking to some of my female friends like they have their best friend but they still love being in the crowd of people too you know um so i i I don't know but there is something also very like like just profoundly familiar um about the group of guys in this movie yeah and um yeah don't i don't want to i don't want to discredit this movie i think i've given it pretty high praise i agree I was expecting I, you
0: to be much more harsh, just because, um, because it is slow and doesn't really have a plot, um, and it and it actually kind of begs you to be on the same emotional uh, level as the movie. You know, it 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 wants you to to reach for that, um, you know, which uh, which I do feel like can be m- maybe a block for for some people, but I'm I'm glad that you ended up, um, really liking it. I, I, yeah, I also really liked it because, um, it, it definitely hit me on sort of the emotional, um, the emotional side, which is kind of more rare. I would say more rare for a lot of war movies to do. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, here's what I'll say here. Cause you just watched it today, right? Yeah. The first, hour of this movie, I was expecting to kind of dig into how bored I was (laughs) and my experience throughout it, obviously had it's like a very fluid shifting pile of emotions by the end. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm moved. I don't know why. Maybe there's just something relatable about it. And then you kind of chew on it for the next few days and you're like, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot of, there's something special. those, those, nostalgic rioting party scenes at the beginning are something I want to watch again. It's like I'm hungry. I miss that, you know? Because I was left at the state of things are different now, you know? Yeah. there, There's, for me, this movie has really grown on me um, over the last few days after watching it. And yeah, I, I didn't expect to be so positive on it, but just in... Kind of our conversation about it, I was like, that wasn't just good, that wasn't just great, that was like excellent. That was that was really something, you know. Glad um, to hear it. Yeah. So I'm, I'll, you know, we'll circle back next week, Cameron, to see how you're feeling about this movie. Then Um I, I have a feeling you'll probably be like, oh yeah, like it's still good. But I'm wondering if you're like, if you have more time to sit on it and be like, yeah, like. I'm going to revisit it soon, or I want to watch it with someone else again. I know Juzo hasn't seen it, so maybe you should watch it with him. Yeah, maybe. see what he thinks. But. Um,
0: for next week, what do you think we should do? Because we could move on to do something else, but we could also watch Come and See, um, which I would love
1: to watch. I say we do a Patreon poll or something.
0: Okay. And yeah, see we what can, people say. Yeah, we can think about it. I'll, uh, also... Come and see might be kind of hard, because I'm not sure if it's streaming, actually, now that I think about
1: it. So we we might have to table that. I would love to put Platoon on the list, Cameron, for voting. Okay. Um, I know you're probably like, well, I don't know. But uh, as far as war movies, I'd say we should try to dive into something... In the modern era, I'm even will. This is crazy that I'm going to say this, but I'm even willing to put American Sniper <laughs> on the list. I know <laughs> I. It's been a really long time since I've seen that movie, um, and you know I'm always down for Dunkirk. But I'd say like let's let's see what the audience wants us to watch for the last war movie. Okay, we um, can come back around to come and see. But um, if you've made it this far in the episode, of course you can vote on Patreon if you're a patron um otherwise you know don't worry about it we'll still have an episode out next week at some point point. and we apologize for this episode being a little late uh cameron and i are in the thick of it right now and just busy with life so um but it's still a joy to sit down and talk with you cameron yeah um it's been really good this episode so any closing thoughts or anything like
0: that no um yeah thanks for thanks for listening
1: yeah man thanks yeah thank you guys for for uh listening a bunch and we will see you next week